beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, who is God to you? Do you experience God in your everyday life? Do you feel close to him? Do you feel like God is close to you? There's times in life when we feel like we don't have a close connection with God. Sometimes you can be angry with God or disappointed in him. You feel like God has let us down. We deal with ongoing pain or sickness. And yet despite various treatments, God does not provide renewed health. We face struggles in relationships and never seem to make any progress. We've suffered loss. And the resulting heartache continues to weigh us down. Despite many prayers for a marriage partner or for children, it seems like God isn't listening to our prayers. He isn't granting us the desires of our hearts. And then we wonder, where is God? And why isn't he blessing me? At times, there's another reason for distance in our relationship with God. It has to do with the fact that there's some unresolved issue in our life. There's something that stands in the way of us feeling close to God. We've done something or are living in a way that we know is not right in the eyes of the Lord. We don't want to admit it. We blame others for the issues we're facing. But deep down, we know that the reason we're not close to God is at least, at least partially our own fault. We've messed up. We've done wrong. Our sin has real consequences in our daily lives. We don't like our current circumstances. But we don't know how to make things right. How to get back to God. And so we drift through life. Wanting real change. Wanting renewed closeness with God. But feeling like this is unattainable. This morning we read part of the story about Jacob. Along with Abraham and Isaac, Jacob is one of the patriarchs, one of the fathers of Israel. He desperately desired God's blessings in his life. We could say that Jacob was obsessed with receiving God's blessings. Just a few days before the events of our text, Jacob had deceived his blind father by dressing in Esau's clothes, pretending to be the hairy hunter. When his father Isaac asked him how he could be back so soon with game from hunting, Jacob had even taken the Lord's name in vain. He told his father, because the Lord your God granted me success. Jacob was striving for success 
in his life. He was willing to do almost anything to get ahead in life. He was willing to lie, deceive, even to blaspheme the Lord's name in order to get the blessing normally reserved for the eldest son. Through trickery, he received the blessing. But it didn't do him much good. Esau was furious with Jacob for stealing the blessing from him. He hated Jacob and made plans to kill him as soon as his father Isaac died. And so all Jacob's planning and scheming had backfired. He became a fugitive. He had to run for his life, away from Esau. But not just away from Esau, but also from his family and from the land that God had promised to give to him and his descendants. Jacob was not just alienated from those whom he loved. In all his striving for success, he was also separated from God. Jacob had been obsessed with receiving God's special blessing. Yet because he tried to achieve this through lying and deceit, he alienated himself from God. He was now running away. Don't we at times do that in our lives, beloved? When life doesn't go how we wanted it to, when God doesn't bless us according to our desires, don't we at times also run away? Not just from other people, but even from God? This morning, we'll consider the Lord's response to Jacob, who was running away from home, who had separated himself from God. I preach you the word of God under the following theme. The Lord shows forth his covenant faithfulness to Jacob by appearing to him in a dream and promising to be with him. We'll consider God's mercy in appearing to Jacob and God's faithfulness and affirming his promises to Jacob. Our text begins with Jacob leaving Beersheba. That's where Isaac and Rebekah had settled in the promised land. It says he was traveling to Haran. Haran is the place from which the Lord had called Jacob's grandfather, Abraham. It's where some of Jacob's relatives still lived. Jacob had a long way to go, more than 800 kilometers. Likely take him about a month to get there. It appears like he was traveling on his own. He'd have to pass from place to place. And not all the people he met would be friendly towards him. Imagine the situation in which Jacob found himself. For many years, he had been striving to receive God's special blessing, normally reserved for the eldest son. At his birth, he came out with his hand grasping Esau's heel. 
That's why he was called Jacob, which means supplanter, one who takes the place of another. Jacob had manipulated Esau into selling his birthright for a bowl of lentil soup. And now he had deceived his father Isaac and stolen the blessing from his brother Esau. Through trickery, Jacob received God's blessing from father Isaac. He had been promised material prosperity, that peoples and nations would bow down before him, that he would be Lord over his brothers, and that God would curse anyone who cursed him, but bless anyone who blessed him. But Jacob received none of these blessings. He left home, basically empty-handed. Instead of being lord of his brothers, he was fleeing in fear of his life. Scared, Esau would kill him. Jacob thought he could get ahead in life by manipulating others. He had deceived his father stolen the birthright from his brother. You can imagine the severe strain that this placed on relationships in this family. What was even worse was that Jacob had misused God's holy name in deceiving his father. When Isaac asked how it was that he had hunted meat for his father's dinner so quickly, he lied and said it was because the Lord had granted him success. He's not only alienated from his own family, his sins also separated him from close communion with God. Jacob was a liar, a deceiver, a manipulator. He was not a good guy. He used the people around him to try to get ahead in life. He thought that if he didn't look after number one, no one would. His actions are motivated by self-interest. At this stage of his life, it does not appear that Jacob has any regard for God. In his life, he does not show love or concern for others either. Jacob was focused on me, myself, and I. He thought that success depended on him clawing his own way to get ahead in life. Do you sometimes operate that way, beloved? Where you have certain goals in life, and where you're willing to do pretty much anything to achieve them? Where you have certain desires and you're willing to lie and to cheat to get what you want. Different people measure success and happiness in different ways. But isn't it true that each of us is inclined to strive and push to get what we want out of life? even if at times that requires us to do certain things that are displeasing to God or hurtful to those around us? How do you think God should respond to his children 
when they disregard him, when they violate his commands. Should God show forth his justice and punish us? God is a just God. He has every right to bring trouble and sorrow on us when we disobey his commands. But often that's not how God acts. In the Bible, we often see the Lord showing mercy to his people when they least deserve it. Remember what mercy is. Mercy is God's undeserved favor. It's showing compassion or forbearance to someone who has offended against you. Our text shows us that instead of punishing Jacob for his sins, God shows him mercy. A few days into his journey, Jacob comes to a certain place. Our text emphasizes the significance of this location by using the word place three times. It's a hint that this place is significant. Without knowing that Jacob has arrived at the place where his grandfather Abraham built an altar to the Lord. Jacob just happened to come to this place. The sun had set. It'd be dangerous to travel further in the dark. For Jacob, this is just another stop on his journey to Haran. But it's here that the Lord reveals himself and his mercy to Jacob. Our text tells us that Jacob dreamed. When we sleep, it's normal for all of us to dream. Happens every night even if we don't always remember our dreams in the morning. Yet in Bible times, the Lord sometimes used dreams to make himself known to his people. This is the first time in the Bible that this happens. Our text tells us about the awesome dream Jacob had. He sees a ladder or a stairway set up on the earth with his top reaching to the heavens. On it he saw the angels of God going up and coming down. By means of this dream, God makes it clear that heaven and earth are not separate worlds. Hebrews 1 verse 14 tells us that the angels are ministering spirits sent forth to serve those who will inherit salvation. The angels carry man's needs to God and God's help to man. Yet that's not the most important part of the dream Jacob sees. Verse 13 of our text tells us that above the ladder, Jacob saw the Lord standing. Jacob had spent years chasing God's special blessing. Yet it seems like he had never truly understood who the Lord was. So in this dream, the Lord communicates with Jacob. He said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. 
By appearing to Jacob, the Lord was making it clear that just as he'd been God to Abraham and Isaac, so he would also be Jacob's God. Remember, beloved, Jacob was not a good guy. He was a manipulator, a deceiver, a man who had even misused God's name to steal the blessing from his brother. Yet God does not love his people because they're such good people. The Christian faith is not about meriting or earning favor with God. God's mercy is that he shows his unmerited favor to us, even when we least deserve it. That instead of coming to punish us, he comes to grant us his blessings. Now we might ask, how is that possible? Why would a just God have compassion and show mercy to a guy like Jacob? Or we could personalize the question a little more. Consider your own life, beloved. Consider your striving for happiness and what you're willing to do to succeed in life. Consider how at times you have trampled others to fulfill your desires. Think about persistent sins in your life and how you keep doing them even though you know it displeases the Lord. Why should God show any mercy to you or to me? It's only in Jesus Christ that we can find an answer to that question. Jesus makes reference to our text in John 1. It's in the context of him calling Nathanael to be one of his disciples. Philip went to Nathanael and told him that they had found the Messiah, whom he calls Jesus of Nazareth. Nathanael's response is, can anything good come from there? Philip encourages him to come and see. Nathanael discovers that Jesus knew him, that he had seen him while he was still sitting under the fig tree. This awakens a confession of faith from Nathanael. He says, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus responds that Nathanael and the other disciples would see greater things than these. He said, I tell you the truth, you shall see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Now, there are clear similarities between Jacob's dream and Jesus' statement to Nathanael. Again, there's a connection between earth and heaven, and God's angels pass freely back and forth. Yet note that there is no ladder or stairway. Instead, Jesus says that the angels of God go up and come down on the Son of Man. The Son of Man is the link between heaven and earth. That's the central point that Jesus wants to make in John 1. He is the stairway. He is the gateway between heaven and earth. He is the one who bridges the gap between our Father in heaven and us. 
What Christ was telling his disciples is that it is in him they would see their salvation worked out. As he said later in John's Gospel, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. At this point in time, the disciples did not yet understand that to accomplish our redemption, Christ would have to suffer and die for our sins, or that he would be raised on the third day. Yet the central point should be clear. It's only in Jesus Christ that our sins could be atoned for. He's the only one who could cover our sins and restore us to living fellowship with our Father in heaven. It's only in Christ that God could show us mercy. It's only in Him that He could show compassion and forbearance to us, even though we're guilty of offending God repeatedly with our sins. Beloved by nature, we're inclined to think better of ourselves than we should. By nature, we're proud. We're often blind to our sins and shortcomings. When we compare our lives to the lives of people in society around us who do not know God, we tend to think that we're pretty good people. But if we honestly compare our lives with what God requires of us, we see that in so many ways we don't image him as we should. Perhaps our sins are not as blatant as Jacob's sins. But we're not good guys and gals. Like Jacob, we're sinful people who desperately need God's mercy and grace. We need to acknowledge this so that we'll turn to God, so that we seek our life in his promises. This brings us to our second point, and we'll consider God's faithfulness in affirming his promises to Jacob. In Jacob's dream, the Lord not only reveals himself to Jacob, he also makes glorious promises to him. The Lord said, The land in which you lie I will give to you and your offspring. Abraham had received the same promise when he first came to the land of Canaan. Jacob receives it when he's about to leave the land. The Lord continues to speak his promises to Jacob. He says, Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Here God repeats his promise to make the patriarchs into a great nation. Remember, Jacob was a single guy fleeing from home with scant resources at his disposal. Although he'd been sent to his relatives on the pretext of finding a wife, marriage and children were far from his mind. When Abraham sent his servant to find a wife for his son Isaac, he sent him with rich gifts. But Jacob had nothing 
with which to pay a dowry and so secure a wife. He was running for his life. Yet the Lord promises to multiply his descendants like the dust of the earth. He promises to make Jacob into a great nation with so many inhabitants that they would spread throughout the promised land. Not only that, God also reaffirms his promise that in Jacob and his offspring, all the families of the earth would be blessed. There's a reference to the fact that it's from Jacob's line that God would raise up the Messiah to redeem his people. It's a promise that one of his descendants would be the one through whom God would provide salvation to people from all tribes and nations on earth. What astounding promises God makes. God seeks out this fleeing scoundrel Jacob. He tells him that all the promises he previously gave to Abraham and Isaac are now for him. Please understand, beloved, that Jacob deserved none of this. He'd messed up his life badly. Jacob was running away from all the troubles his sins had brought on him. But he wasn't running to God. He wasn't looking for God's help. We don't read anything about Jacob turning to God. Yet God takes the initiative. He appears to Jacob in a dream, and he makes glorious promises to him. There's a lesson for us in this, beloved. There's times in our lives when we mess things up. Times when we face the consequences of that. When, like Jacob, we get into runaway mode. In our self-sufficiency, we can think we don't need God. In our pride, we may refuse to humble ourselves and turn to him for help. In times of hopelessness, we may think that relying on God is useless. He never seems to do anything to help me in any way. Then, beloved, we need to hear the final promise God made to Jacob as he slept with his head resting on that stone. The Lord said, Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Here the Lord makes clear to Jacob what it means to be God's covenant child. The Lord makes four specific promises. The first is, I am with you. Even as Jacob leaves the promised land, he will not go alone. He will not be leaving God behind. God will go with him. In the times in which Jacob lived, the gods were considered local deities who gave protection only within their own territories. Yet the Lord is God of heaven and earth, 
and all that's in them. He is the all-powerful God who's able to cross borders with Jacob into other countries where other so-called gods reigned. God makes this clear in the second specific promise he made to Jacob. He said, I will keep you wherever you go. From a human perspective, Jacob faced very uncertain times. He didn't know where he was going to lay down his head from one night to the next. Traveling as a single guy was dangerous. There was no guarantee he would even make it to his relative's place in Haran. Jacob didn't know what kind of reception he would receive from them. He didn't know when it would be safe for him to return home. Yet despite all the uncertainty in his life, God says, I will keep you wherever you go. As the good shepherd of his flock, God promises to care for and to protect Jacob. To this, the Lord adds a third promise. He said, I will bring you back to this land. Unlike Cain, Jacob will not be a fugitive for the rest of his life. He will not have to live out his days as an alien in a foreign land. The Lord promises to bring him back to the land of his birth, to the land promised on oath to Abraham and Isaac. To this, God adds one final promise. He said, I will not leave you. God promises his abiding presence in Jacob's life. Beloved, God's promises are pure grace. Jacob had messed up his life with ambition, self-reliance, callousness, lying, and deceit. He deserved to come under God's curse. But instead, God comes to him with wonderful blessings. He makes glorious promises to his wayward child. And there are no conditions. God doesn't say he will fulfill his gracious promises if Jacob acts in such and such a way. He doesn't demand Jacob's love and devotion. God's promises are pure grace. When Jacob wakes up from his dream, he's astonished. He said, surely the Lord is in this place, and I didn't know it. And he was afraid and said, how awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God. And this is the gate of heaven. Jacob's afraid, for like Isaiah, he'd received a glimpse of the sovereign Lord. Because the Lord revealed himself to Jacob here, he thinks of this place as the house of God, as the gate of heaven. He understands that the Lord has come to him and made glorious promises to him, even though he doesn't deserve them. And so at daybreak, Jacob took the stone upon which he had laid his head, and he set it up as a pillar. As an act of worship, he poured oil on it. Jacob changed the name of that place from Luz to Bethel. 
Bethel is a Hebrew word meaning house of God. This place where Jacob had spent the night was not an ordinary place. It was a sacred place. A place where the Lord made himself known to Jacob in an extraordinary way. Our text speaks about how Jacob responded to his dream with surprise and fear. And that initial reaction is followed by a different response. Jacob gave his heart to God. He committed his life to the Lord. It's clear from the vow he made. Jacob said that if the Lord would be his God, he would give himself completely to God. If the Lord would be with him and provide the necessities of life as he went traveling, he would worship him. Jacob sealed his vow by promising to give the Lord a tenth of all that he would receive. Beloved, just like Jacob, the Lord calls us to respond to him. Just like Jacob, we need to realize that God is real, that his promises are true and certain. For us, they're even richer in Jesus Christ. Like Jacob, we need to understand that we're not alone in life, but that God is always with us, that he will never leave us or forsake us. It's a promise God has made repeatedly to his children. When the Lord charged Moses with the task of bringing Israel out of Egypt, he promised, I will be with you. Moses encouraged the people of Israel to capture the land of Canaan with these words. Be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be in dread of them. For it is the Lord your God who goes with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. When Israel ends up in exile due to her disobedience, the Lord assures his, assures his people of his continued presence. He said, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame will not consume you. There's times in life when we may feel all alone. Times when we may be angry with God or disappointed in Him. Times when because of the circumstances of our life, we may feel like God has let us down. When it seems like God isn't listening to our prayers or granting the desires of our hearts. We wonder, where is God? Why isn't he blessing me? At times like that, we may try run away from our problems. We may try run away from God. Beloved, you cannot run away from God. In the fullness of time, God came to his people and his son, Jesus Christ. He is called Emmanuel, which means God with us. He came as God's answer to our sins and misery. It's in him that God grants us mercy. 
It's in Christ that we receive pure grace. God pardoning our sins through Christ's blood shed on the cross. After his resurrection, Jesus promised his disciples, Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. When Jesus ascended into heaven, he poured out his spirit to dwell in his people. God is with us as we travel through this life. He's with us through all the troubles and sorrows we face. Brothers and sisters, boys and girls, is this God real to you? Do you experience his presence in your life? Jacob's story teaches us much about the mercy and the faithfulness of our God. In Christ, God has restored the link between heaven and earth so that we may know who God is and experience the joy and peace of living in, re in restored fellowship with him. God has given us one final promise to hold fast. On the last day, when Jesus comes again, God will dwell with his people. God has said, we will be his people, and that he himself will be with us and be our God. May we draw comfort from God's abiding presence in our lives. Amen.